We're going to turn together in our Bibles in the New Testament to the book of Acts, to the book of Acts. And we're going to break into the story, one of the amazing stories of the Apostle Paul and Silas. And having been preaching, proclaiming the gospel and ransacking the devil's kingdom, they ultimately found themselves in prison. And they're praying in prison, and in verse 26 of Acts 16, we're breaking into the story where they're praying and praising the Lord in the prison. And the Bible says in verse 26 of Acts 16, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors opened, he threw out his sword. He drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in. And came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Amen. And we know God will bless the public reading of his infallible and his inerrant word. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you again for the opportunity to present the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to thank you, Lord, for the people who are gathered and those who we know will listen to your word. And we pray that your word will go forth with clarity and plainness. And we pray, Lord, that men and women and children will hear the voice of God calling them to saving faith in Jesus Christ. I ask, Lord, that you would cleanse the atmosphere of this place completely. And in Jesus' name, I bind every spirit and every demonic entity that would restrict or in any way interfere with the proclamation of the gospel. And I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would be mightily present. Lord, put a fire and a wall round about this place. And we pray, Lord, that you would open a portal, a channel, wherewith the power of heaven would be felt here on earth, and that everyone in this meeting would know that God exists because we have felt him, and we know he's here. I give myself completely to you, Lord, and I pray that you would cleanse and anoint me, and I claim that anointing, and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Whenever these men were in prison, they were unlike the generation of today, probably myself included. Most Christians, when you meet them and they've had a flat tire, it's a bad day. When things just didn't go as you wanted, it's the world falling down, you're like chicken licking and the hen laying and turkey lurking and the world's falling. 
But the early apostles were different. They were different. Because these men had been whipped. And their backs were bleeding. And they were put into this dirty old prison with rats and filth. And they prayed and sang praises to God. That fascinates me. Because that tells me that the early church had something that the present church doesn't have. That tells me despite all our fundamentalism and all our declarations of our knowledge and all our wee doctrines and our big churches, that there's something seriously missing. They had power. They had power. There was real power in the early church. Power to heal the sick. We have relegated that now to the doctors. Church doesn't do that anymore. But the early church did. Anything to do with a broken mind now in the church. Relegated to the doctors, psychologists, and psychiatrists. We just deal now with people being born again, and then after that it's over. <laughs> That's all we do. But let me tell you, my friend, the early church was a church with power. And they had a power inside their hearts that even though their bodies were in pain and broken, they could do nothing but praise the Lord and pray. I meet with a group of Christians who have a real hunger for God, and I thank God for every one of them. Because what makes them unique is every one of them is sold out to Jesus Christ. And boy, when you pray with people that are sold out to Jesus Christ, things will happen. And God will come. And we were very exercised to go to a place called Saul. I don't know if you've ever heard of Saul, have you? Saul is where the first mention of the gospel came to Ireland. Through a man called St. Patrick. Who wasn't a Protestant. And he wasn't a Catholic either. He was just a Christian. He came over from Wales sent by God. And he came into a devil infested Ireland. That was full of Druids. Satanists. Where this land was possessed by Satan. And that man arrived in a little place outside Down Patrick called Saul. And there's a lovely wee church built. 1933 to dedicate that place where he came to. And where he saw his young first convert. And he gave him the old barn that he owned. And from there the gospel went out over all Ireland. And people were healed. And people were saved. And the Druids and their power was broken as the light of the gospel went all over Ireland. We went yesterday and we just had a prayer meeting. We said, Lord, we're really sorry for what has happened in Ireland. We're sorry, Lord, that somehow they lost their way. And Lord, now they're fighting and killing one another. 
killing one another, supposedly all to do with God and Ireland. And some of the people at the prayer meeting were converted Catholics, and some of us were converted Protestants. And we got down together and we said, Lord, we're really sorry for what our people are responsible for. And we're sorry, Lord, that we are part of the problem. Our attitudes and our culture is part of the problem. Oh, I know that doesn't go down well with a lot of people. But I'm telling you what I prayed. And I said, Lord, I'm tired of being part of the problem in Ireland. I long to be part of the solution. I want to be part of God's solution for Ireland. I don't want unionism or republicanism. I want righteousness in Ireland. I want God's kingdom on Ireland. That's what I want. That might be too big for some of you to swallow. But I told you one other night, in the last two to three years, as I waited before God, God began to convict my heart about things. And I began to confess about attitudes. And after I confessed and repented over a period of time, as I just let God speak to me, God began to do something. I wouldn't have regarded myself as a bigot, nor would I have regarded myself as sectarian. But boy, the seeds were down in there. Boy, they were deep. And the Holy Spirit said, Alan, I can't use you. I can't use you the way I'd like to, because there's parts of your heart that are full of bitterness. And you can't celebrate it anymore. You've got to repent. You've got to repent. And my friends, I did, and I'm glad I did. And I'm sure of more repenting to do. But I want to tell you this. As a result of that, I don't know how many Roman Catholics since then have either come to my home or Roman Catholics that have been led to the Lord. I don't know how many. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. Hmm. Maybe you need to do some repenting. Maybe you need to pray, Lord, make me part of the solution instead of part of the problem. These men had a power, my friend. And as they prayed, the place shook. And I believe with every fiber of my being and every part of my DNA that God Almighty is going to shake the 32 counties of Ireland. I believe that. I believe that. And I believe that's why God has led me in the way he has with repentance, as I've mentioned, because God is going to do something powerful in Ireland. And I want to see it. And I want to be part of it. I don't want to be some old embittered boy sitting up in a church giving off about whatever I believe. I want to be where God is.
See, my dear friends, these men came in to prison and they prayed and the earthquake came and all the gates were opened. God can open doors. God can make a way where there's no way. God is the God of the supernatural. The supernatural is natural to God and it should be natural to the Christian. And we're told that when they came in, this old jailer who had put them into prison and had no interest in them and locked in and fell asleep, but the Lord shook him up. <laughs> he was sleeping. And round about us there are people and some in the gathering and you're sleeping. Sleeping in your sin. Sleeping in your unrighteousness. You need to be awakened and stirred up to your condition. And as he was awakened, he was taking the sword to kill himself. That's still happening, of course. Awful tragedy. People taking their own lives. Paul said, do thyself no harm. I want to speak to you if you suffer with mental health issues. I want to speak to you if you feel the life, life is not worth living. Let me tell you, death is not the way out. Let me tell you, suicide is not the way out. Don't take that route. Don't take that route. God said through Paul, do thyself no harm. Don't hurt yourself. I don't know how many people I meet, friends, over the month. Every month I meet people come in and the arms is cut off them or the necks cut off them or the legs cut off them where they're self-harming. Many of them young people in awful pain. Do thyself no harm. He talked to them a moment and brought them out, and this is what he said to them, Sirs, what have I to do to be saved? Life's most important question. What must I do to be saved? Did you ever ask that question? What must I do to be saved? You see, the Bible says, look unto me and be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. The Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Uh, my friends, the Bible's full of been saved. But have you asked the question, what have I to do? To be saved. My friends, can you tell when a person's going to be saved? Can you tell if a person is in a place to be saved? Well, the answer is yes. I've met people on the journey of life, and I know that they're not going to be saved, certainly not at that point in their life when I'm talking. I know they're not going to be saved. Not at that point. 
You see, friends, there's a preparedness of heart to be saved. There's things that happen in a person's life in order for them to be truly saved and, and a child of God and ready for heaven. And I want to briefly run through a few of those with you this evening. The first thing that must happen in a person's life before they can be saved, and that simply means to be rescued from their sin, from hell, and from the second death, so that they can be forgiven and right with God and ready for heaven. There must be what the old preachers called conviction of sin. Conviction of sin. And I want to tell you that no preacher can do that. I can't do that. Couldn't do it for myself, never mind for anybody else. No clergy can do it, no church can do it, no denomination can do it, none can do it, but I want to tell you who can do it. He's called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is in all places at all times, so he knows you inside out. There's not a thing about you he doesn't know. And the Bible says when he has come, he will convict or convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. It's his job to convict of sin. You see, friends, the problem with man is that man is dead. The Bible says that man is dead in trespasses and in sin. Well, you know, a dead man can't hear. And a dead man can't see. And a dead man can't speak. And the Bible says that you're dead in your sin. You're cut off. You can't hear God. You can't see God. You can't sense God. You're cut off. You see, when God got Adam in the garden, he said to him, Adam, in the day that you eat of the forbidden fruit, you will die. On that day, you will die. But Adam lived for hundreds of years afterwards. It was many hundreds of years before Adam died. So what did God mean when he said, in the day that you eat, you'll die? What God meant is that your relationship and mine, me being with you as your king and your Lord and your savior and your provider, that's gone. We're cut off. And the Bible says your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Sin has separated man. I was hearing somebody the other day and they were saying the devil doesn't exist. <laughs> I think it was somebody from England. Devil doesn't exist. Well, a preacher said on one occasion, he says if he doesn't exist, well, all I want to know is who's doing his work. Who's inspiring the pedophile? Who's driving the transgender alignment and all this nonsense and complete perversion? Who's driving all that? Who's keeping the murders and the wars and the conflict and the bitterness and the unforgiveness and the resentment and the hellishness let loose in people's lives? A man, who's doing that? My dear friend, make no mistake, there's a devil. Make no mistake. And he's not a wee character that comes up in a Kit Kat 
A little advertisement where he comes in by a wee flame and he stands and laughs and breaks a Kit Kat. Oh, my friend, he's not a boy like that. And let me tell you, whenever you become a Christian, and then when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll have encounters with him. And I have had my fair share. And let me tell you, he's alive and real. The devil. And he is a real kingdom. But I want to tell you in triumph from this pulpit that Jesus Christ defeated the devil. He defeated sin and death on the cross of Calvary. And on the third day when they put the seal and the stone and the soldiers at his grave, the angel told Mary, he is not here for he is risen. God raised him from the dead. God was satisfied with what he did at the cross. God knew that the work was done and he lifted his son out of the grave and he has set him on his right hand, a prince and a savior and every knee to Jesus Christ shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's a wonderful Savior. Wonderful. But my dear friends, whenever God is going to save a man or woman, he brings conviction. You say, well, what happens, Alan, practically when a person's under conviction? Can you tell? Of course you can when a man or woman is under conviction, this will vary from degree to greed with different people, but nevertheless, all these things will occur in the life of the person who becomes a Christian. Some may be very conscious of some things, some may not be conscious of the other, but what will happen is that, my friends, there will come a great sense of need. A great sense of need will befall the sinner. As the Holy Spirit switches on the light in the darkened mind and the person becomes aware of their sinfulness and they have broken the law of God just like a murderer, just like a thief, that the police are after them. So in like manner the sinner knows that God is after them. They know that their lawlessness is going to be found out and the fear of God and the fear have been captured and the fear of hell gets hold of them. Yes, that's what happens when a man is convicted of his sin. There was a man in the Bible called Nicodemus. He was a very religious man, an equivalent of an archbishop in the Protestant or Catholic church today. He was, he was a top-notch boy in the church. And the Bible tells us that he had heard things about Jesus. And so curiosity took a hold of him. And more than curiosity. But the boy was afraid of people. And he was afraid of his colleagues in their same religion. Afraid of the old Pharisees. So I want you to imagine him going from house to house. And he's hiding in behind the houses. Because he is an errand that night, Nicodemus. Nicodemus's errand is that there's something going on inside him. Even though he's a religious leader and he knows the scripture inside out and he prays to God every day, there's a deep need in his heart and it's driving him. And eventually, quietly in the dark, he gets to the house of Jesus and he comes in and he says to Jesus, nobody can do the things that you do unless God's with him. And Jesus turns to Nicodemus and he says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You're not right with God, Nicodemus. The clergy need saved too, you know. The clergy need saved. There's many as a man in a pulpit over our land. They're not saved. They're not right with God. They're not going to heaven. 
They're not going to heaven. If I thought putting a collar in your neck would get you to heaven, but an awful lot handier than doing what I'm doing. No, Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And my friend, it stands for you and me too. We need to be born again to get into the kingdom of God. But Nicodemus felt something. You see, he felt something inside. He felt he, felt he wasn't right. He felt that religion wasn't enough. He felt that all his good works were insufficient. And so he went quietly and in the dark to find Jesus because he's looking for answers. He's looking for answers. Religious man. He's looking for answers. I want to tell you that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Not only, my friends, is there a great need, but there's a great sense of unworthiness. Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 18 about two men who were in the temple. The one stood at the front of Pharisee and he stood and he thanked God that there was nobody like him. And he told God how good he was and boy, he gave God some accolade of himself. And there's people like that. And my friend, they're full of themselves. There's no room. They need to make them bigger to get more of themselves into themselves. They're that full. But Jesus talked about this boy at the front. Full of religion. And self-righteousness. But Jesus said there was another man at the back of the temple. And Jesus said he wouldn't even lift his head. Just put his head down. Smote his breast. And kept saying these words. God be merciful. To me the sinner. Jesus said the boy at the back. He went out. Forgiven. Why? Because, my friends, he felt his need. He recognized the darkness of his own heart. And he cried, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And I say, my friend, if you cry like that to God, you'll have God's attention. If you cry like that to God with your sin and say, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. When a person's under conviction, there's a great sense of need. There's a great unworthiness. And very often, there's a great fear of hell and condemnation. Very often. A great fear of hell and condemnation. The psalmist said in Psalm 116, 3 and 4, The sorrows of death compass me. And the pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. The pains of hell. My friend, when you start to feel the flames of hell on earth licking round your soul, it will help you to recognize your true condition in the sight of a holy God. If only men and women could see their destiny. If only the lid of hell could be opened up over men and women, whether they be in storment or whether they be in the hospital or whether they be in the doctor or whether they be at home or whether it happened in the church. My, if hell were just open, I tell you, people would live better. People would live better. He said, the sorrows of death got round me. And the pains of hell 
took hold upon me. That ever happened to you? The pains of hell. The reality of hell. The knowledge of hell. Getting hold of you and getting into you. I remember hearing of an old preacher. He was Church of Ireland. Way out in County Armagh. I forget his name now, but he was a great soul winner. But he come under conviction of sin after listening to the late W.P. Nicholson in the great revival in the 1920s here in Ulster. And such was the power of conviction that got hold of him. He got on his bike and he cycled for I don't know how many miles in order to try and find the evangelist just in order that he could find salvation. It's a good sign when sinners are hunting preachers. It's a good sign. My dear friends, conviction of sin. But then there's contrition. Conviction is the work of the Holy Spirit to show us our sin. To point it out. I'm sure you're aware tonight you're a sinner. I would hope you wouldn't be foolish enough to say you're not. I would hope that you wouldn't be that blinded and dumb that you would think that, that you don't commit sin. I'd hope that your conscience that God gave you that dogs and monkeys and cats don't have, I would hope that your old conscience would be alive enough, even though you're not a Christian, to know that you've done things that are not right before God or man. I'd hope you know you're a sinner. And I'd like to remind you that there's consequences for your sin, for the wages of sin is death. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And then death is cast into hell. I wouldn't be a faithful Christian or preacher if I told you anything else. I was told about a minister not far from here, actually, not that many miles, a number of years ago, and I heard, oh, he's a great evangelical, boys, great evangelical. Huh? Oh, and he led this meeting, he led that. Great minister, great preacher. I was so delighted to hear it. I had a relative died, and I went to the funeral, and the boy was there. says, I, this will be good. All my relatives are in, are unsaved, church packed to the neck. Hundreds of people sitting. says, I, this is going to be good. And he got up, and he talked the greatest old nonsense and blether you ever heard. You see, there's preachers like that, and they're like the town clock. They have a face for everybody. And they're not worth a spittle. Not a spittle are they worth. If you don't stand for the truth and for the Lord, no matter who's in front of you or who's against you or who's for you, my friend, you need to hand in your badge. Hand in your badge. Because you'll face the judgment of God for what you've done on the people. My dear friend, I am your friend. I am your friend. I'll tell you the truth. And I can honestly say that I fear God more than I fear you. And that's why I'll tell it. Contrition. Sorrow. God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry. Do you know, the psalmist said, I will be sorry for my sin. Not good. I will be sorry for my sin. Don't hide it. Don't be hiding your sin. Don't make a fool of yourself. 
The Bible says, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh their sin shall have mercy. There's no benefits in hiding your sin. Bring it out to the light. Bring it to God. God loves the light. And the Bible says men love darkness. Choose which side you're on. Either hide in the darkness with your sin or come out to the light with God. Contrition. I and confession too. Confession. It's not enough, my friends, just to say, well, I feel sorry for my sin. And I know I'm a sinner. But you've got to come to God, your maker. To God, your maker. And in your heart, you've got to bow before God, your maker. And you can do it in this church or if you're listening, you can do it in your seat or do it in your car or you can kneel down in your bedroom. It doesn't really matter the location and it doesn't matter the shape of your body. It's to do with the state of your heart. But you need to kneel down in your heart before God and say, God, that's me. I'm a guilty, hell-deserving sinner. I've committed enough sin in my life to bring me to the deepest hell and then the lake of fire. And I deserve it because I've broken the laws of God and I know that the Word of God and the Spirit of God are on the hunt after me. And I'm going to confess my sin. Now you might say, Alan, where would I begin? <laughs> where would I begin to confess my sin? <laughs> I remember a friend of mine, he was a Roman Catholic, a neighbor of mine, and he'd done work for me, and we used to talk about this. And he said, Alan, I can't see the difference between you and me. He says, for I confess my sin, and you confess your sin, and I believe in Jesus, and you believe... Oh, here. And we used to converse, and then we'd do more business and converse again. And then the next time I met him, I said, Seamus... There is a difference. He says, well, what is it? I said, from you have been a youngster. You went originally to the parish priest and you said to him, I confess. And you told him sins and probably a lot of them as a child, you didn't even commit them. But you just had to do the things. So you told him whatever you could. But you go and tell your sins to this man and then you ex you're expecting God to intervene. But I said, I don't do that. I said, not only do I not bring a man into the equation because I have got a man and he's called Christ Jesus. I bring him in. But I said, not, not, even besides that, there's another problem. I says, you see, here's the problem, Seamus. I wouldn't know where to begin confessing my sin. I wouldn't know where to begin. I would have been a brat from when I was a child. Just like my own children, I learned to lie without blushing the best ever you've seen. I took the sin as naturally as a wee bird takes to the air. I took the sin as naturally as a wee fish takes to swimming. <laughs> it's natural to sin. It's the fallen nature. I said, sure, where would I begin to tell my sins? God doesn't ask us to do that. No, no, because that's so complex. We wouldn't know what to do. But do you know what God says? God says, come and acknowledge that you are a sinner. Come as a sinner to God. Don't come with all your sins. You'll not know them. But just come as a sinner and say, Lord, I have broken the law of God and I'm guilty and I deserve punishment, but I'm coming acknowledging and repenting of my sin. And Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that before you. That's all you have to do. 
You say, well, what about confessing your sin then? Well, that happens when you're a Christian. When all your sins forgiven and you come to Jesus and you walk with him, and if you feel him or sin against him in your walk as a Christian, then the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. That's where the individual confession comes in, but not before conversion. Doesn't work before conversion because you have to be born again. You have to enter into the kingdom first. And you come just as a lost, vile, guilty sinner into the presence of God Almighty and through the merit of what Jesus has done for you on the cross, you acknowledge before him, I'm guilty. Can you do that? Can you do that? It's very simple. It doesn't cost us anything, but it costs Jesus everything. Confession. Ah, and then conversion. You see, my dear friends, whenever you come to God with your sin, as the Holy Spirit convicts you, and you get before him and you say, Lord, I confess my sin. I am a sinner and I'm guilty. And I have broken your laws, Lord, and I desperately need your forgiveness. And I desperately need you to come into my life. And I need you to come and give me power to live a life like I haven't lived before. I need your strength in my life because sin has destroyed me. Sin has beaten me. I'm an addict. My life is destroyed and broken. And there's no way out. And doctors can't help me. And psychiatrists can't help me. And counseling can't help me. I desperately need help. I want to tell you as many as received Jesus to them God give power to become the sons and daughters of God oh yes God will give you power that thing that's destroying you I want to tell you my friend God can defeat that it was already dealt with on the cross all Satan's addictions all Satan's destructive power all dealt with at the cross. And you can be free. Did you ever bow down before him and say, Lord, please come into my life. Please save me. Please forgive me. <laughs> One of the greatest joys I've ever found in my life, and I've had plenty of joys, but one of the greatest is when a person under conviction of sin has come into a room where I have been and with perhaps tears running down their face said, please help me to find Jesus. And to simply watch God saving a soul. To simply be there to watch as God performs a miracle. And his life comes into a sinner's life. And they're taken from the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of God's dear son. All their sins are blotted out in a moment of time. And they have a new nature and a new life and new desires and new longings. And the light of Jesus shines out the windows of their soul. No greater joy. No greater joy. Has that ever happened to you? 
at Karl, at Karl. You say, well, Alan, tell me this very quickly before you close. You were saying that Jesus would convict by his Holy Spirit, and, and if I repent and I come and ask him to save me, that he would save me. But, but Alan, how would he let me, as a black sinner, into a holy heaven where there's no sin? How could God do that? After all, God's holy. He couldn't let something dark and evil get in. How does he do this? You see, God had a problem that Solomon couldn't solve. But Jesus solved it. And the problem was this, how a holy God who hates sin would let ungodly, wicked sinners come into his presence. And there only was one way. And the only way was that God's lovely son, Jesus, decided in the councils of eternity in the past that he would come to earth and he would humble himself and he would lay aside all his glory and his majesty and his power and dominion and he would take on a body like ours. And he would come to the earth and be born in the lowly, lowly stable uh, under, th through the Virgin Mary and be born in obscurity and born into filth. In a filthy old rotten manure filled stable. Who is he in yonder stall at whose sheep the shepherds fall? Tis the Lord, a wondrous story. Tis the Lord, the King of glory. At his feet we humbly fall. Crown him, crown him, Lord of all. And he lived a sinless life and he took up the children and blessed them and he healed the sick and he raised the dead and he blessed men and he went about doing good and helping all who were oppressed of the devil. A lovely man, Jesus. But though he did all that, that couldn't get any of us to heaven. You see, he had to go to the cross. And when they took him and whipped him and stripped him naked and nailed him to the old tree as he hung naked there a darkness came over the whole earth and the bible says that god turned his face away from his son and jesus cried out my god my god why have you forsaken me And then God took the hell that you deserve. And the hell that I deserve. And all the judgment on our sin that you and I deserve. All that was taken by Almighty God. And God compressed it. The judgment of hell. He compressed it into the soul of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ bore our sin in his body on the tree. And when he had borne all the wrath of God. And all the wrath for sin. And became our substitute. He cried triumphantly on the cross. It is finished. The price is paid in full. Man can be forgiven. Man can be saved because Jesus paid it all. It's all paid for. You don't have to pay for salvation. You don't have to pray for salvation. You don't have to work for salvation. You don't have to go through rituals for salvation. Jesus said it's done. It's paid for. It's finished. 
You just come as a sinner because he did it all. There's nothing for you to do. It's without money and it's without price. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's the free gift of God. Would you come to him and receive that gift? When my children were growing up, they would come to me. <laughs> maybe at birthday time, maybe at Christmas. And my wife would have bought whatever present it was and we'd give it to them. They didn't earn it. Sometimes I could have been quicker to buy them a bag of coal, to be honest with you, for the way they behaved. But we just gave them a present. They didn't earn it. Nor did they run away and say, now hold on a wee minute, I'll go and I'll see what I can save and bring it. Hold on. Now hold on, I'll break my wee piggy bank and get the money out. No, they've never done that. But that's what a whole lot of people do. I know God, but God here, what do we see what I can give to you, Lord, if I can do I did this for you, I did that. Let's get God some. Do you know what my children did whenever I would give them a gift? They would say, thank you, Daddy. What did I do the night that Jesus Christ came into my life and gave me the gift of eternal life? What did I do? I didn't run away and say, God, well, I'd need to do something for you. I'd need to get some money. I'd need to start doing meetings. I just said, Lord, thank you for saving me. And I've been thanking him ever since. I've been thanking him ever since. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for this wonderful gift that I'm going to be in heaven someday. That I'm going to be in that beautiful city and that before that you have a plan for my life and, and by your grace I'm going to do that plan and I'm really enjoying it, Lord. I'm really enjoying it. I'm enjoying being a Christian. Conversion. Say, Alan, after I receive what I do, well, there's confession. <laughs> You've got to tell others. That if thou shalt believe with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, thou shalt believe and confess with him, then thou shalt be saved. Believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, then thou shalt be saved. Confession unto salvation. Telling others. Have you ever received him? Do you know him? I had a friend many years ago. I met him. And just like tonight, that's exactly what happened. He came under conviction. And he was very contrite and sorry for his sin. And he received Christ. And he enjoyed Christ for many years. And he took ill. And I remember going to visit him before he died. And I remember his wife said to me, Alan, it'll be difficult. He doesn't speak. Now he's not speaking. Can't speak. Hasn't spoke for days on end. We've been talking to him, but can't get a word out of him. And I said, well, that's okay. And I went in and sat beside him. And I didn't know what to say. And then I began to talk about things that I knew were important to him. And I began to talk to him about the time he got saved. And about how that he heard the gospel and how that the Lord had convicted him. And how that at that age, 60 years of age, that he heard the voice of Christ and that he, that he wanted to be saved. And how that one day in his business, 
He knelt down at his bedroom and cried to God, God save me. And we talked a wee bit like that. And just as he was talking, (laughs) he just turned around to me and looked at me and he said it was a good day. good day. Have you got the good day? (laughs) Have you the good day? Let's bow in prayer.